Well, hello, Grace Point. Try that one more time. Shout if you're watching online. Hello, Grace Point. All right, all right, all right. Before we dive in today, we'll do a couple things, uh, kind of a Grace Point family thing. But before I start that, just turn to the person next to you and tell them you are so incredibly fortunate to be sitting next to me today. Can you tell them that? All right, all right. Uh, just, just something to bring up. Some of you know or are aware of our, um, our interim worship leader, Nash Rayburn, um, has contacted COVID a number of weeks ago, and he's battling back, had a lot of sores in his mouth. Those are going away, but his energy level is, is way down here. So would you pray that God just get, gives him strength so that he can uh, soon, soon lead us in, in worship again. We're so grateful for the team uh, that uh, he has reproduced himself. They had no idea that he'd be gone this long. So please pray, pray for Nash, okay? Yes. Okay, now if Nash is watching this service, can we just thank him for his leadership? All right. All right. The, the second thing I want to I bring your attention, in two weeks we're going to have a baptism Sunday. Uh, it's for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ but have yet to follow in obedience of baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. It just gets you wet. But what, baptism is a public declaration that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And the Bible is very clear. They said they believed and were baptized. They were believed and were baptized. So if you're new to the faith, we'd love for you. You don't have to know everything because we're, we're still learning. We're on this journey. But it's a very simple step to go public where you identify with the death the burial, and we do bring you back up, the resurrection uh, to do this. And some of you, you've been a, a believer for years, and you have yet to obey God in this area. Go to gracepointkitsup.info, three simple steps, easy process for you to um, write down, here's my, faith, here's my faith story, and sign you up, and they'll tell you what's going on, answer all your questions, and then during a worship, worship segment, two weeks, we won't put a microphone in your, in your face. You just go public by being baptized. So let's, let's have a number of people do that in a couple of weeks. And one last thing, i got to make sure this is a real deep theological confrontation I need to give to some of you. Um, some of you Seahawks fans, um, you beat my team last Sunday. Um, you, you came and told me, Pastor, I I'm really sorry. No, you're not. You lied. Okay, just deal with that sin in your life and stop lying. All right, all right. We are jumping back into our series. Um, just this whole, I want to have you escape the coming apocalypse, the coming judgment of, of God. And, and this teaching, if you're new to our church, we teach book studies and, and topical studies and different issues, all from God's word. But this book study in Revelation is different than any other book because it's so intense and it's so different. Because God's patience with mankind and wickedness and evil and blaspheme in his name and his word and his people, God's done. His patience has come to an end when this whole thing gets going. And so, so you know, it's like the, the justice of God is being poured out on the earth. And some, some I've heard a number of different People saying different things, saying, oh, I am so excited. It's one of my favorite books. It's so exciting, so exciting. And then the other extreme is, I don't like Revelation. It's kind of scary. It's kind of confusing. It kind of freaks me out. And I, I'm kind of like kind of somewhere in here of like, it is just sobering. It is much easier for me 
and exciting for me to teach on the mercies of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God than to teach on the justice of God. But it's true, it is there. It is part of, of, of his, uh, his God nature. But it is challenging. It is challenging. Uh, last week, we really got rolling on the first wave. There's three huge waves of judgment and wrath of God. And we unpacked where, the, where Jesus was the only one worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals that closed the scroll. And each seal, a lot of them were, were judgments of God. And, and, and it was poured out. Now, if you weren't here or you, this is kind of like jumping in for the first time, it was kind of like jumping into an intense movie 30 minutes in. You really need to go back and watch the others who kind of lay the groundwork and the foundation and the characters and the theme and the plot so that you can understand. So please do that. But last week on the fifth seal, on the fifth seal, it, was the, it represented the souls in heaven under the throne, of, uh, under the altar of God, in the throne room of God. And you may say, well, who are those people? And why are they there? And what's going on? Well, Revelation chapter 7, where we'll be today, uh, will answer those questions. All right, who are they and where do they come from? And thankfully for me, uh, this, this message did. It's like a little pause. Pause in the action, pause in the wrath. And, and it shows something significant about God that I want to bring to our attention. So let's jump in chapter 7 and we'll begin to read a few verses. After this, after that sixth seal... I, John, saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the forehead of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now let me set the scene, then we'll give you some back, back information. The scene is this, is that even though... The terrible wrath of God is being poured out on the earth, even though God is doing that. Don't miss this truth. God's wonderful grace is being extended to mankind. Makes no sense to me. And God's redemptive story continues. The whole Bible is about God's redemptive story. Separation from God and man because of sin. God has pursued mankind with his love and his mercy and his grace. And even in the midst of all of this intense and terrible and horrific wrath, God keeps extending his grace. That is the DNA of the heart of God. You're not going to hear that in our news. You're not going to hear that in our culture. But that is all through the Bible, and it's in throughout the book of Revelation. Now, I'm going to come back to that, but let me give you a helpful tip help you understand a little bit about the book of Revelation because many people have shared with me it's just so confusing and I, I, I get that but let me help you Revelation was not written chronologically and that's in our western like hemisphere western culture that's it goes against the grain 
Like we like things chronologically, especially men. We just make it chronologically, then we can follow it. It's not written this way. Now, what's helpful for me was an illustration that one of my resources in studying for the series uh, shared. His name was Pastor Stephen Armstrong, and, and he shared that it wasn't written chronologically. It would be like this, he said. If someone asked you, well, tell me what happened in World War II. Where so many things happen at the same time, it would be hard to put it chronologically. In fact, it would actually make it more confusing. You have to kind of break it up into different sections, even if you went back and forth. Like, well, what happened during World War II? Well, there was the European front, right, with the Allies and Normandy and Nazis and Hitler, you know, and, and, and General Patton. I mean, all, all that sort of stuff. But then also over here, there's the Pacific Theater, the Pacific Front of Pearl Harbor, Japan, you know, General MacArthur, Iwo Jima, and eventually the atomic bomb. Why would it be challenging? Because so many things were happening all over the globe at the same time. In the book of Revelation, so many th different things are happening all around the earth at the same time. So when we dive into chapter 7 today, when we start in chapter 7, it happened, these four angels holding back, really, judgment on the earth by stopping the every, and he was very specific. I mean, it's, it's literally all wind stopped. That's going to be a sign to the, to the world, like, that's eerie, that's not normal, something's about to happen. And, and But that took place, like, prior to some of the seals that we talked about that were opened last Sunday about that the earth the physical earth would be would be would be you know damaged and, and get the wrath of God and then later on in the chapter there's things that happen later maybe near the end of the tribulation so this is like a pause in the action explaining that fifth seal and what God is doing you're going to see the heart of God continuing to give grace in the midst of God's Wrath. So the four angels hold them back, ready to bring across, uh, bring bring wrath of God. And the fifth angel, leader, says this: Do not harm the land or sea or the trees until we put a seal on the forehead of the servants of God. Now let me unpack this. This word in the Greek we call it servants English, but also another translation in the English is called um, bond servant. That word and that phrase in the original language of Greek is re always referring in the New Testament to believers who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul often referred to himself as a servant of God or the bondservant of God. That is, that is now we're talking about believers in the tribulation. And he said, okay, before we do certain things, we're going to put a seal on the forehead of them. Now, there's another seal coming, and it's called the Mark of the, okay, Mark of the Beast. Let me just tell you right now, we're going to talk about it later. It is not the vaccine. <laughs> Let me be clear. Not even close. So some of you are like, oh, I'm glad I came to church today. All right, but this is like symbolic of to, to my believers I'm going to mark them. And in Revelation 14, the mark on their forehead is the name God, God Almighty and Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know if people can see them. 
We don't know if just believers can see each other's seal. But they are marked by God. These are my followers. These are my followers. They belong to me. Now, while the Antichrist is at work, being empowered by none other than Satan himself, the powers and wonders and oohs and ahs and all that, while the Antichrist is at work and he's accumulating power and influence and he's going to keep going, building to the point where he is going to demand global worship of himself. While that is at work, God is at work bringing a new generation of followers of Jesus into his family. There's one worse word for that. It's called grace. Grace. That's not what you say before a meal. Literally means a gift from God that you do not deserve and you cannot earn. You do not deserve it and you cannot earn it. Now, pre-rapture, the church is taken away and then the tribulation and the wrath of God starts. Pre-rapture, we see the grace of God. It's for by grace we are saved by faith in Jesus not of ourselves, not of works, not because we're American, not because we're a good person, not because we go to church. We receive salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It is a gift of grace. We don't deserve it and we cannot earn it. That's pre-rapture. Now what we're seeing is that God's grace and the story of his gracious redemption continues through the wrath of God, the time of tribulation, and he's extending grace. To people who don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. Why am I, I'm going to drill on this all, all morning long, is this is the heart of God. This, this, is, this is the DNA, if there is a, like a divine DNA of God. This is who he is. Now, human beings, we have our own bent, our own DNA. We'll talk about that throughout. But God is a gracious, God is a gracious God. Now, this whole issue about receiving grace in the tribulation is a controversial, debated subject. The question is, is that pre-rapture, if someone heard about the gospel, heard about Jesus, and rejected it, ignored it, laughed at it, denied it, do they get a second chance to receive grace? After the rapture took place. In my study, and I see people, I see good people, good doctrine on both sides. But there's a passage in 2 Thessalonians that some turn to to find their answer. 2 Thessalonians, it says this. Oh, I need to read it from the Bible. A little longer passage, so we don't have too many verses on the screen. Verse 9 says this. Paul says this, the coming of the lawless one, he's talking about the Antichrist. The coming of the Antichrist will be in accordance with how Satan works. He, Satan, will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Come back to that. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. wickedness, wickedness. So there's a contrast. There's believing the truth and believing 
the lie. The truth is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ was the lamb, perfect lamb sacrificed on the cross. And he's referred to the lamb a lot in Revelation. The lie that people are going to be deceived to believe is that the Antichrist is the Savior. The Antichrist is their answer and their hope. And that is a bold-faced lie from the pit, literally, of hell. So the passage is, for those who did not believe the truth, you know, would not be saved. Which takes me back to part one when I gave you a bunch of interpretations of how to interpret scripture. I go to interpretation number four is this. It's okay to say, I don't know. So can people who pre-rapture, who heard the gospel, who rejected it, denied it, walked away from it, can they, can they get a second chance? I don't know. Let me, let me tell you where I'm leaning, though. I'm leaning toward the DNA of God's graciousness. And I may be wrong, but here's what I do know. I do know that in the tribulation, that seven-year horrific period, there will be tribulation believers who place their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I do know. I do know that in the midst of wrath, God extends his wonderful grace. I do know that. And I do know this. If you're not a believer, I do know this. Do you really want to take that chance? Do you really want to take that chance by waiting? Well, where do these believers come from? Where, where, who are they? Verse 4 of chapter 7. John says, then I heard the number of those who were sealed, means believers, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Let me tell you who they're not. These 144,000 are not from the cult called Jehovah's Witnesses. Let me just tell you that. It's just unbiblical, unscriptural teaching. Well, well, then who are they? Well, if scripture makes clear sense, don't look for any other sense. They're from the tribes of Israel. They're Jewish. All right? They're Jewish. They're Jewish. 144,000. Now, later in Revelation, it describes that they're men, all virgins, which tells me they're mostly young men. And they are, they are from the tribe of Israel. Now, most of them probably have no idea that, you know, part of their DNA is from Jewish heritage. But God knows. God's memory banks has it all figured out. And they're also probably spread around all the country because when God, you know, spread the nation of Israel all across the world, all of them didn't return DNA-wise back to Israel. They're all around the country, all around the world, all around the globe. And from that, God is going to use 144,000 with Jewish blood from the tribes of Israel to be his evangelists. That's what they do. They travel the world or where they're at. And they point people to the Lamb, point people to Jesus. They'll point people to Scripture. Hey, it was here all the time. Our world mocked and laughed at Scripture. But look, it's being played out right before us. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, let's jump back into chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. This is more like near the, near the end of the tribulation. 
It says this, John says, After this I looked, and there before me, he's in the throne room of God, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I love John's answer. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be wrong. He says, I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. They are believers who went through the tribulation. The question is, well, why would God, for all that, the Jewish nation, Israelis have done in the past, why would God choose Jewish people first to draw to himself in a saving relationships? Well, Jesus, talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, said this in John 4, salvation is of the Jews. Romans 1.16 says to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. God's pattern is to start with the Jews. Again, this is another example of the grace of God. That's who he is. It's a big part of who he is. To a nation that has rejected him over and over and over, to a nation that he has blessed abundantly, and then they ran after other idols, to a nation that just ignored Jesus and and. and laughed at Jesus and denied Jesus to a nation that still to this day wants nothing to do with Jesus. Why would God go to them? Because God is a God of grace. I'm going to give salvation starting with the Jews first. They don't deserve it and they cannot earn it. My wife and I, I found this video early Saturday morning, I'm like, Candy, Candy, you got to see this. I've been telling you what I've been learning about how rare it is for Jews to trust in Jesus Christ. It's happening. It's kind of spreading in Jerusalem. It's like Hebrew evangelism going on. And she confirmed this interview of this young 20-something girl named Anastasia who was born in Shiloh, Israel, uh, Russian heritage. You see by her last name. That's why I didn't pronounce it. And, and she grew up in, in a full-blooded Jewish, you know, house. And all she knew was the Old Testament. That was all she was able to read. And then she met Jesus through Isaiah 53. As she says, the Old Testament and the New Testament 
came together in 3D version on Isaiah 53, and there was Jesus. And her coming to faith, it rocked her family, you know, friends. They're like, you know, what's going on? And so she's being interviewed, and the person asked her, okay, help us here in America. It was a video broadcast. He says, help us understand what's it like to be a, a Jew and with Jesus. How, how, how does that happen in your upbringing? And she said this. I wrote it down. That she was taught, just think about Satan just twisting truth left and right. She goes, we were taught Jesus was a Gentile, and he led people and nations to hate Israel. Jesus, uh, this has really got me. Jesus had, we've been taught that Jesus has tormented us for 2,000 years. God could just say, Speak to the hand. I gave you so many chances. But that's not the heart of God. That I'm going to go to people that spat in my face, denied my existence, forgot all the blessings and the miracles. I'm starting with the Jews first. And they're going to help evangelize the globe during a time of wrath. Now, God uses not only these 144,000 to then we see a multitude of all different nations and tribes and languages in heaven. But he also loses, uh, uses two interesting characters. Turn over to Revelation 11. God has another way, dramatic way, to draw people to himself during the tribulation. And they're called the two witnesses. Let me read you some verses. Verse 1. I mean, this sounds, this sounds like, a, like a movie. All right, actually, most of this book sounds like a movie. Verse 1, I, John, was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court, do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Do the math, that is three and a half years. Verse 3, I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days. Do the math, it is three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. They are, quote, the two olive trees and the two lampstands and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm these guys, them, fire comes out of their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They will have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. They have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Let me answer some questions. Who are these guys? Who are they? Some people say, oh, it's Moses and Elijah because those miracles and fire from heaven and plagues and turn Moses. And Elijah did those things. Others say, no, it's Enoch and Elijah. The two who God just took to heaven. They didn't die. And he's bringing them back. That's another question some people have. My question is this. Does it really matter? <laughs> who cares? God's going to use them in a powerful way. Another question is, where are they? Where are they? Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. Fact they hang out at the new temple. Did you catch that? The new what? 
temple. There's no temple in Jerusalem now. That's why I keep saying the second coming of Jesus when it's all done is not imminent because there's no temple. Well, now he says, go measure it. By the way, don't go where the Gentiles are. We've given that. The Gentiles have trampled on that. The age of the Gentiles. They're at the temple. At the temple. Now, when I, well, in 2012, my pastor, grown up, Ted, Pastor Ted Duncan, brilliant scholar, he had a, a trip to Israel, invited Candy and I to join them, and we were walking in, for me, the first time into the old city of Jerusalem. And I'm just like buzzing, my history's, my mind is exploding. And I, so I started talking about, well, man, what's God going to do? Because you got the, got the Dome of the Rock where the Temple Mound is, and what's going to happen? He said, Barry. He goes, research has, is, is, has been proven, and this is, this is true. In storage right now in Israel somewhere is all the building components to the next temple. The, the architecture of the temple is not that difficult. All the supplies are ready to go. It'll take months to build. And I'm going, ah. These two witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but on, on, in the temple area. And no one can harm them. And there's going to be plots to kill them. And they have supernatural, like, fire coming out of their mouth to uh, take care of that. Well, what are they, they going to do for three and a half years? This is the first three and a half years of the tribulation. What do they do? Verse 3, they prophesy for God. They're the mouthpiece of God. They're the ones who are saying, thus saith the Lord. They're the ones predicting because God said, hey, this is going to come. And he, they're predicting. By the way, this Antichrist, that guy up there, he's a fraud. He's a fake. He's not the savior of the world. Jesus is the savior. The lamb, the perfect sacrificial lamb died for all of our sins that was killed like right over there. He's who you need to follow. Probably saying stuff like that. Knowing what's coming. It's like, okay, there's going to be... There's going to be economic shutdown, and, and food's going to cost, you know, crazy prices. The loaf of bread, 60 bucks, and then it happens. He says there's going to be a worldwide famine, then it happens. He says, okay, there's coming, the coming, the sun is going to be darkened, then it goes dark. The moon's going to turn this, this blood red, and then it happens. And then he says, there's coming an earthquake that's going to move or remove mountains or move or remove islands. And then it happens. And what will it cause? What will these two guys cause? Hatred to skyrocket against God, against Jesus, against his word, against anyone who follows Jesus. And they hate these two with a passion. But also what's going to cause? Repentance. As people are hearing or watching, and, and then it happens, and then it happens. And then, wait a second, maybe I need to investigate. Oh my goodness, it's all there. It's one of the reasons why Revelation is in print. This is happening before our eyes. Maybe we should believe what they're saying. That's why I believe last week we were in chapter 6, after that massive worldwide earthquake, the people know where this is coming from, I believe because of these two guys prophesied it. Chapter 6. It says, they call to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne 
They just didn't pull out of thin air. I think they heard that over and over again. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand it. They know that because they heard it over and over again. And these two witnesses, like I said, are hated beyond anybody that you can even imagine, even anybody in history. Pick up again, I'll show you why. Look at verse 7, chapter 11. Now when they, the two witnesses, had finished their testimony, the beast, Satan, that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. That would be Jerusalem. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, and language and nation will gaze on their bodies, probably seen it digitally, from their phones, from their TVs, and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate, check this out, by sending each other gifts because these, these two prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth. They have parties, gift-giving parties because these two guys are gone. Verse 11, but after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they saw a loud, they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come, on, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the survivors were terrified and checked this out and gave glory to the God in heaven. What's one word for this God's given in his wrath? It's called grace. Even his, his, his wrath is, I'm done with wickedness, I'm done with evil, but I'm still going to give human beings an opportunity to hear the truth and have an opportunity to receive salvation. It's amazing. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Now, maybe in the room we're watching and you're going, That's tough to believe. I, I really, I don't know. You know, you're not a believer, but you're like, man, this is, man, this is like the craziest sci-fi movie that's ever been written. I'm just, I don't know. But you know what? I think I'll wait and see if like a couple billion people leave suddenly. I'll wait and see if some of the things in Revelation begin to play out. And when they do, then I'll trust in Jesus and receive his grace. Let, let me just give you a warning. If you say, I think I want to wait. Tribulation faith in Jesus comes with a death warrant. Oh, it's so hard to accept Jesus today. What will my friends think of me? In the tribulation, you choose to Trust in Jesus as the lamb that covered your sin on the cross and rose again, proving he was the son of God. You place your faith. In Revelation, you're going to be hunted, hated, and then beheaded. It is so easy to accept the gift of grace today. I wouldn't chance 
waiting to see if it all plays out. And there's, off, there's others that uh, like, all right, I'm here with my spouse or I'm here with my, my parents, you know, they believe all this junk. This is stupid. This is absurd. This is like crazy. I always knew, always knew Christians were just a little whacked, you know, mentally and, and they believe this stuff. I have a warning for you as well. What if it's true? What if it's actually true? See, when Jesus was walking out of the temple and all those disciples were like, man, isn't this awesome? Look at that. This is amazing. Oh, this is great. Jesus predicted. Yeah, but there's coming a day where this thing's going to be destroyed and not one stone will rest on each other. What? I'm like, you know, that's crazy. And then it happened. In, with Rome in 70 AD. Back in, back in Ezekiel, it prophesied that the, the nation of Israel, because of their rebelliousness and idolatry, God's going to just scatter them across the entire globe. And it happened. And you may think, yeah, but, you know, that, nations come and go, and there's former nations that, you know, just disappeared. True. But in Ezekiel, God also prophesied, but I'm going to bring them back and start the nation again. And it happened. May 14th, 1948. What if it's true? That's why we're teaching, not so that Christians can understand what this powerful book is, but so that there's some of you can escape the coming apocalypse. I'm going to turn this verse, powerful verse, for you, and it's this. If you're like, I don't, know, I don't buy all this stuff, how shall you escape if you ignore so great a salvation. So great a salvation. It's sobering to teach. But it's defrauding to you if I don't say, yeah, you, if you're not saved, you're going to go through this. And I don't know if you're going to get a second chance. But why risk that? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And believers, I'm telling you this thing, so you get kind of slap ourselves in the face, is that the people that we hang out with, the people that live next to us, people that we work with, do we ever pray for them for their eyes to be open? Do we ever get our eyes off ourselves and say, maybe I should invite them to my church? may want to wait till after the Revelation series is over, but it's just, do I ever have them on my radar? I don't want to have a regret going, Man, I wish I would have invited my neighbor. I wish I would have shared my faith. Maybe this series will do this to us. Let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Maybe you're one that you, God has been drawing you, and you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you know that church won't get you there. Being a good person won't get you there. It's by grace you are saved. By Jesus, Jesus alone. Maybe that's your, today is your day of salvation. If so, say this, God, I am a sinner. My sin has separated me from you. And by faith, I receive your grace by believing in Jesus, that he is the Messiah. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again because he was God. And I say yes to you today. The Bible says when you pray that, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You will never, ever get kicked out of God's family. But to you believers out there, who have never been baptized, why? Don't let fear, 
don't like anxiety. Those are all tools that Satan uses so that you don't obey what the Bible says. Believe and be baptized. Go public that Jesus indeed is your Savior. Sign up even today. Lord, we just ask that you would move in people's hearts to draw them to you, draw them to faith, and draw them to obedience. Thank you for, for putting in writing what is going to happen as sobering as it is. Wake us believers up. That the time is short. Let's get busy. Let's get our eyes off ourselves. Let's reach out to those by prayer and then invitation. God, use Grace Point in this dark county. May the light shine brighter, brighter because we take serious our faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen, amen, amen. amen. If, uh, whew, as you pray for me, a lot of you are, would you pray that God help me teach in a way that people can understand? We've got people from all parts of the faith spectrum. Pray that I, I, I understand what God wants me to say and teach it in an understanding way. If you're a guest today, please go to guest services. We have a nice gift for you. If you need to get baptized, go today and sign up. Let's take care of that. And hopefully have a great and wonderful day. See you next week.